Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And uh, if you're able, I would invite you to stand again. I know you just sat down, but I would invite you to stand again uh, just in uh, honor of the reading of God's Word and how precious it is to us, how we respect it and love it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Well, this morning, we're going to hear the testimony of an eyewitness. So when you hear that expression, an eyewitness, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Someone that was there. Someone that was able to tell you because they heard firsthand what they're about to share with you. Someone who saw or experienced and they're about to tell you something that adds a little bit more credibility because they were there. So their testimony should automatically say to you, we need to listen to this person, right? Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 
and we're going to get a little background about 1 John. 1 John was written by John the Apostle, the younger brother of the Apostle James. And John and James were the sons of Zebedee, whom Jesus called the sons of thunder. Peter, James, and John were the closest to Jesus of the apostles. And if you remember, Jesus had taken the three up with him, up the mountain when he was transfigured before them. They were the three apostles that Jesus had asked to stay awake with him when he was going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane and waiting for the time when he was going to be betrayed. John was the apostle who sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. And John was the only apostle of the 12 apostles who died a natural death, dying in his old age at Ephesus. In fact, it was in John's later years, possibly between 90 to 95 AD, when he wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the book of Revelation probably was also written to the churches in Asia Minor, and that's the country of Turkey. Seven of the churches in Asia Minor that he names in Revelation are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And John had been living and ministering in Ephesus. He had been banished to the island of Patmos for a time, but then he returned to Ephesus for the last years of his life. So he wrote Revelation from Patmos and the Gospel and the other epistles he wrote from Ephesus. So he wrote 1st to 3rd John as letters to encourage the Christians of the churches in Asia Minor and to refute some of the heretical teaching that had been passed around that people were hearing. And according to the ancient historian Irenaeus and the writings of church fathers Eusebius and even John's disciple Polycarp, John refuted the false teachings of Serenthus and other heretics. They taught pagan philosophies and their beginnings of Gnosticism. And Serenthus was an Egyptian who was raised as a Jew who believed that the world was not created by God, but by angels, and that one of these angels gave the law to the Jews. Interesting theory, and he's passing this all around. Serenthus taught that Jesus had been an ordinary man upon whom the spirit of the Christ descended at Jesus' baptism and then abandoned him before the crucifixion. And there are also many false teachers promoting docetism, from a Greek word meaning to appear. This belief claimed that Jesus had not been truly human, that his human body was just an illusion, and that he was in reality only spirit. So if you can imagine this kind of teaching floating around during the day. And it was uh, similar to what became the basic for the Gnostic belief. Now, Gnostic gets its word from uh, gnosko in the Greek, means to, to know, so to have a thorough understanding. So they promoted a higher understanding. They said, this is a higher understanding. That's the, the Gnostics. And their higher understanding was that all physical matter was evil and that only that which was spirit was good. And false teachers promoted excessive sexual immorality, rationalizing that whatever actions done in the physical body did not affect the soul. And this led to carnal, self-centered behavior being practiced by many claiming to be spiritually enlightened. They also went the other end of the spectrum with asceticism, saying that if they were to hurt their body, that that way they're denying their body, but it doesn't matter what they do to the body because it doesn't affect the soul. So they're either hurting the body or they're giving too much attention to the body. So that was their, their idea 
of what it was to be spiritual. Well, we don't know for certain which specific teaching that John was refuting in his letters. We do know that he is definitely refuting that which I just described. And we do know that the false teachers who claim that Jesus was not the Christ, John calls antichrists. And he mentions in his letters that there are many antichrists at that time, and also that many false prophets had gone out into the world, he tells us. You know, much of the content of the first of these three epistles of John focuses on the deity of Jesus as well as Jesus' humanity and on Christian moral responsibility. And the immoral teachings of the world were to have no place in the church. This is why John is writing this, to say what the world is doing around you is not how it's supposed to be here in the family of God. Those who follow Jesus share in fellowship with Christ and with one another since they are members of the body of Christ, the church. And those who truly believe and follow Jesus as Lord of their life continue following Jesus and remain in the church. They follow him as Lord and master of their life. Those who depart the teachings of Christ show that they had not truly been believers in the first place. Now this whole letter in a very loving way reminds believers of what true life and fellowship with Christ and with one another is all about. And that's beginning with the reminder of who Jesus the Christ is. It focuses on truth, on unconditional love, and on godliness, but also on great joy for those who submit their lives to Christ in all their ways. So that being said, now we can start the sermon. So please turn in your Bibles. You're, oh, no, we're in for a ride. Yes, you are. So First John, and we're looking at verses 1 to 4. First John, beginning of verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You know where John begins? At the beginning. <laughs> Isn't that a great place to begin? You notice at the beginning of your Bible, it starts with the book called The Beginnings, Genesis. So John begins in the best place. He's pointing to Jesus, and he's reminding his readers that Jesus is the word of life, living and eternal. And what John shows us is a firsthand eyewitness account of someone who has been with Jesus since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He testifies as one who has been with Jesus and knows Jesus personally. And he reminds his readers of two basic understandings that they need to have if they are going to truly understand the gospel and to know Jesus too. So firstly, in verses 1 to 2, John testifies of Jesus and the gospel that the eternal son was physically here. Very important. And you can see that in the light of all that you just heard about the strange teachings that were going around. Look again at verse 1. What was from the beginning? 
Now, the question that many scholars ask in studying this passage is, what or who is John talking about when he writes what? So what was from the beginning? Now, one view is that the what here, because John says this what has been from the beginning and he has heard it and seen seen it with his own eyes and touched with his hands, is the person of Jesus Christ. I don't think we'd have anyone that would necessarily disagree with that. But I'm saying there, there are two views, so we're going to see both of these here. And this would match the beginning of John's gospel in which he writes in John 1, 1 to 3, which we heard, in the beginning was the Word. Now follow this, this is great. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And of course, we heard also from verse 14, and the word became flesh. So this also fits the statement in verses 1 to 2 that this was concerning the word of life. And this life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So Jesus is the word of life. And it's used here as a title. And the life was manifested. It appeared. And John saw and testifies and proclaims the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And this view would see John affirming the eternality of Christ, who has been, even from before the beginning of all creation, always existing, always affirming the deity of Christ. It affirms the humanity and physical presence of Christ. Since John personally heard, saw, and touched Jesus, he can say, I was there. And he's offering proof that Jesus was not some spirit merely appearing as flesh and blood as the false teachers were teaching, but was physically present. Now, another view is that John is talking about the original gospel message itself. That which has been declared to them about the Christ. And the what, therefore, by that view, would be are all the things that have happened and that have been spoken to them concerning Jesus. And the phrase, from the beginning, in the context would mean since the gospel had first begun to be declared. And this view would mean that John is writing to defend the purity of the gospel message so that whatever has been spoken by the false teachers and antichrists about the nature of Jesus and his ministry would be exposed as false in light of the truth. So John, therefore, would be saying to his readers, the message has been declared to you from the beginning or all along. It has not changed, nor has it been altered, because that which we, that being himself and the other apostles, have heard, they had heard Christ himself speak the words, and that which we have seen with our own eyes and watched and touched with our own hands concerning the Christ, we not only testify to, but we proclaim to you the message of eternal life. Now to support this view, proponents point to three other passages in this letter which use the word beginning in the sense of the beginning of the gospel. There is 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. So they've had the commandment. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. There's also 1 John 2.24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And see there you have what the what in that case would be the gospel message. Okay? And there is also 1 John 3.11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. <clears throat> and then I should get some water. Excuse me. What was from the beginning then in our passage can be read, that which has occurred since the beginning of Jesus' physical presence on earth. The message of the gospel and all that we have witnessed regarding Jesus the Christ, the word we proclaim to you. You see that? Okay, so now reading this first verse from one perspective or the other might change how you read this passage, right? You might see this passage as either a defense of the truth of the gospel as John's mission statement for the rest of the letter, that the testimony of he and the other apostles was true and reliable and not to be changed or reinterpreted or allegorized by false teachers, nor should believers be misled by conflicting claims. Or you might see this passage from the perspective that John is not talking about the gospel message per se, but about the person of Jesus Christ, who has eternally existed as the Son and then was manifested at the incarnation when the word became flesh and who was witnessed by John and the apostles. So before you get your voting cards out, if they, which, one, which, which one is it? You say yes. Okay? Both views point to Christ, actually. And if you look at the, the Bible, the entire Bible points to Mashiach, the Messiah. And we see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we also have the gospel, his word, which preaches the only means to salvation, and that's through faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, so both views defend the gospel in the eternality of Jesus the Christ since concerning the word of life, who was with the Father and was manifested to us, speaks of eternal life for those who believe in Jesus. And whether John has the gospel in mind or he's affirming the physical presence of Christ, John is saying clearly that he himself heard from Jesus, saw Jesus, watched Jesus, and even touched Jesus. So he knows that Jesus was there physically and not a spirit simply appearing to be present. Jesus lived among his disciples for three years and his disciples told others about Jesus and taught others all that Jesus commanded. So remember the Great Commission? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out and tell about, about Jesus? We're supposed to go out and make disciples, teaching them all that Jesus commanded. So it's not just going out and saying, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's coming alongside. You know, this is what he said. It's not just my opinion. I'm telling you exactly as it happened. And let's look, let's look at the Word of God and see how the word was unfolded as the Son of God appeared among us. Isn't that amazing? The beginning to believing is understanding that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied about throughout the entire word of God. The first basic understanding to really knowing Jesus is knowing that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was physically here. And his apostles and others witness his life and ministry. You know what you see when you go to Israel? You can see where Jesus actually walked. You can see places referred to in the scriptures. And they go, wow, 
That's exactly as it says right here in this passage. And it's amazing, and you can think, wow, Jesus walked here in this place. Not just a religion, not a, a belief, but history. As God stepped in physically into history and walked among us. And that is earth-changing and earth-shattering. In verse 2, John summarizes his ministry. He says, We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You know, the false teachers do not know Jesus. The false teachers have no concept of him being an actual person that they could have a relationship with. They proclaim that which they do not understand. So they talk about the irony behind having that higher knowledge or understanding, like the Gnostics, and then not actually even knowing who Jesus is. They're trying to explain someone that they don't know nor had ever met. But true believers know Jesus. Do you remember what Philip said to Jesus? You know, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. He says, Philip, have you been with me so long that you haven't come to know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Amazing. True believers know Jesus, believing in the true testimony of the gospel and believing in the physical, actual presence of Christ who rose bodily from the dead. Is that important? Absolutely. It's the core of what makes us Christians is acknowledging that not only did Jesus live, not only did he physically die on the cross, he physically rose again on the third day just as he foretold, just as the scriptures had declared. In verses 3 to 4, John then discusses the second basic understanding of the gospel that's needed in order to truly know Jesus. Fellowship with God is proclaimed. The gospel is not just an escape from the punishment of God's wrath. It's not just avoiding hell. We know that Romans 8, 1 to 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. But in addition to giving us forgiveness for our sins and cleansing us of all unrighteousness, Christ came to give us new life, abundant life, life overflowing. He gives us a life with him now and forevermore. And he says, well, what, what I'm struggling with, sickness, or I know some people that are, are going through difficult times, but you know what? They need Jesus even more. And if you can imagine, I can't imagine doing anything without having a relationship with Christ. My wife and I have been married 24 years. I can't imagine anyone staying married for however long without Christ in their relationship. What you realize when you become a Christian is how selfish we have been. And we are. We're still part of that, that sin nature. And we have to constantly... Constantly put God first and others next. And ourselves, where? Last. Last. In, first, uh, in verse 3, John writes, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Notice this. So that you too may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. John affirms that the same message that he and the other disciples of Christ have been proclaiming about, what they have seen and heard regarding Jesus, they proclaim also to the churches, to everyone. And the message has not changed. And Jesus has not changed. And the promise of eternal life, beginning with faith in Jesus, has not changed. So every, seems like every generation, there are people that will say, well, you know, times have changed, so we need to change the Bible to make it more contemporary, right? We need to make it apply to, well, you know what's happening there. You're having the people that are in desperate need of a Savior trying to change and make it so they can be acceptable with whatever sin they're doing and saying so that we don't have to feel bad about it. And it's just the opposite that happens, that the, the word of truth does not change because it transforms us, it changes our hearts, it changes our life, and the more you submit to Christ as Lord of your life and walk according to his word, the more you become more like him and less like the world. And the more that you're entangled in every various sin, and the more you're living for him, amen? Amen. You can't say Jesus is master and then not following him as Lord of your life. You can't say that you love him and have no fellowship with him. Life begins anew through that relationship with Christ. And it begins when a person confesses with their mouth that Jesus is master of their life and they believe in their heart that Jesus has risen bodily alive from the dead, as it says in Romans 10.9. What's the most important factor there? Well, there's two things. You're confessing first. Notice it says Jesus as Lord. You're acknowledging him that he's already Lord, that he is master. And the second, that you're believing in your heart that he has risen alive from the dead. In our passage, John tells his readers that the reason he and others are proclaiming the gospel, the account of all that Jesus did and who Jesus is, and the faith in Christ that is necessary in order to inherit eternal life, they're proclaiming it so that others may have fellowship with them and fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know what that talks about? A relationship, a family, a fellowship. Jesus commanded his disciples to go out and make disciples of all the nations and teaching them to observe that all that Jesus commanded. But you know what? Believers should also want to do that. That should be the desire of our heart to tell, hey, you know, I found the greatest thing that ever, ever existed in my entire life and it changed everything about me. It changed my heart. It changed my objectives and it changed the way I do things. You want to hear about that? Does that sound like you want to hear about that? Okay, that's what we all have to share is what Christ has done in our life and who he is. And that's the message of the gospel, that he died to pay for our sins at the cross. And he rose again on the third day. And whosoever believes in him shall not what? Not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. And you get this fellowship time, this time of being with Christ and being with others who love Christ. And fellowship means a relationship here like friends, but it's more than friends. It's a family. It's a family relationship. 
Okay, so you probably heard of the word ohana, like in Hawaiian, that's that whole family, but it's more than just a word, it's, it's a way that you think of others too, especially in the body of Christ. We also will share a future, not just the time right now, we're going to share a time for eternity with Christ and with each other. Believers share in a belonging to Christ and in our citizenship in heaven. Do you ever think about that? Well, I'm a citizen of heaven, right? How many times do you hear that part? Well, I pay taxes. I'm a citizen. How would you behave as a citizen of heaven? What would be your paying of taxes? I walk with Christ. I, ch- I choose to do his will. I want to make him happy. I want to do things because I love him, not because I have to earn anything, because he's already given me, what? Everything, Right? Believing in Christ through a faith response to the gospel makes us partakers with Christ in an eternal nature as we are destined to live together in an eternal kingdom. Remember what what Peter wrote to believers in 2 Peter? 2 Peter 1, verses 2 to 4. Peter wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Imagine that. Not embracing any of the sin in this world and saying we need to embrace sin, but by turning away from that and embracing that righteousness that comes from knowing Christ. His righteousness, not any righteousness of our own, but that which is received from Christ, Christ's righteousness when we put our trust in Him. In Christ we have fellowship with other Christians. We also have fellowship with God. And fellowship is not just talking about things over coffee and donuts, but about the kind of relationship that we have with one another. It's about the kind of time that we share with one another, a concern, a love for one another. It's about wanting to build up one another in the faith. We cannot take that for granted, that fellowship time for granted, because not all of us have access to be here on a Sunday too. And for those that are at home, you know, we want them to know also that you're worshiping with us in spirit too. And you're with us in a spiritual sense in fellowship because that's the best that we can do right now. We want to make that better too, right? We figure out ways that we can even have a more of a, an outreach to shut-ins. We're, we're working on all this stuff because the fellowship is important. It's not talking about our place in the church either. It's not just saying, well, I have fellowship. I'm going to go to fellowship time, right? As if that's a set-apart kind of a thing. You know where your fellowship is each day with other believers? When you're with other believers? In John, 1 John 1, 7, we're told, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Fellowship has as much to do with spiritual growth and maturity as faith. We are participating in the gospel together. We are participating in fellowship. Now, if someone truly has believed in the gospel and they've submitted their life to Christ, there will be a difference in their behavior, right? There will be a difference in their speech. There will be a difference in their life's purpose. And sin makes people only think about themselves. So I can't imagine someone say, well, I'm a Christian, so I want to stay in sin. What? Have you heard anybody said that? But I've heard people justify when they're doing something that the Bible calls is wrong, and all of us have sinned. Let's make that very clear. There's no hierarchy of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no justifying of sin. There's justification by which you've been forgiven of that sin and made a new creature, right, and sanctified, set apart. That's different. Salvation draws people back to God, allowing them to think about God and others before themselves. Imagine, it's kind of like if you had Adam and Eve and all of a sudden uh, with Adam and Eve with a new heart, oh look, there's that apple. We're not supposed to eat that. You know what? I love God more than I'd like that chance of being able to taste. Well, it's not an apple, by the way. It's just a fruit. I just threw that out. It's probably a pomegranate. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying... That the idea is you love God more than anything that the devil can throw out in your way because you are transformed. Jesus is Lord of your heart. Amen? Amen. Okay, so if people are struggling with sin and this is your lifelong time while we're still in the flesh, people are still struggling, keep struggling against it. Don't give in to it. Okay? Because Jesus is Lord and we get all of our sustenance from Him. We don't turn to anyone else to make us complete. We don't even turn to our spouse to make us complete. We're complete in Christ. Fellowship is about that relationship that a believer now has with God and with other believers, and it's sharing in the spirit of Christ. Now, the Greek word that John uses for fellowship in verse 3 is kononia, and it's from kononia. Means sharing a partnership, participating together in a close community, a communion. Now, we did communion last week. Remember that? We shared in the blood and, and flesh with the, the bread and the wine and what it represented. We shared in the, the cup and the bread. But we had a fellowship with Christ and a fellowship with one another in that time as we remembered what he did as the elements represented what he had done for us by going to the cross. We had fellowship and remembrance. We know that John is writing to believers in our passage because in 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14, he affectionately calls them little children. Okay? And another part is because he was so old, just about everybody would be little children to him, you know? I mean... We're not, my wife and I aren't necessarily young, but my parents still call us kids, you know. We're the kids. We're not that young anymore, you know. But for someone that's up there, everyone's a kid. And for John, he also had an affectionate term for new believers and little believers. And so we we're not just talking about their age, but also they're in the belief, in the walk and fellowship. And he says that their sins have been forgiven and they have overcome the evil one and the word of God abides in them. If you look at 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. 
He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You know what? Not everyone in every church is saved. Not all are believers. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, actually follow him as master. But believers share in fellowship. I think you... You know these things that not everyone that claim to be Christians, as you will find out in your day-to-day working with people out in the, in the world, that many claim to be Christians but actually want nothing to do with Christ, actually want nothing to do with sharing their life with God or with other Christians, actually want nothing to do with actually going to church when they can go to church. John proclaimed the gospel eagerly, even to the churches, so that all people could hear and respond in faith to the gospel and then share in fellowship with Christ and other believers. He says, you're missing out. You're missing out on what it is to know Jesus. You're missing out on what it is to have a big family that you're a part of. We have one Lord. You know what really life is all about, and that's living for Christ. So in our passage in verse 3, when he writes, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us, he's encouraging them to have a partnership, a sharing in the work of Christ and share in the mutual building up of the body, the church. Fellowship is found in working alongside one another for the glory of Christ. Fellowship is found in praying with one another for others, for the will of God to be done in their lives. Fellowship is God honoring, Christ exalting, and believers strengthening. And you might think that you're going to do well on your own, but we can all still excel and do better together in fellowship. Actually, we do our best work with Christ in the center as we work together for his glory. Amen? Fellowship then speaks of our sharing in unity around God's truth for the glory of God. What's God's truth? You're holding it, the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And Let's look over to John 17. And if you don't believe me, let's look at the words of Jesus. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane for his disciples... In John 17, actually beginning of verse 17, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also, they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me 
and love them even as you have loved me. Notice how he begins. Believers are to be sanctified in the truth and unified in their faith in Christ. That is fellowship. When people say, you know, you need to set aside the truth. You need to set aside the word of God for the sake of unity. That's not what Jesus is praying. He's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. He even gives the definition of what, are truth, what is truth. Remember, Pilate says, what is truth? Like it's a subjective thing. It's not subjective. Truth is the word of God. So when people keep wanting to change that around, what are they doing? They're actually setting aside the truth. So without that, without the sanctification and unified around the truth of the gospel, around the truth of God's word, around Christ as their center, how unified can true believers be with professing believers when professing believers want to set aside the truth and compromise the faith? John writes this letter to encourage and confront by returning to the basics of the gospel, the walking in the light as Christ is in the light. If he's doing that, then we would have true fellowship with one another. If we are doing that, we have true fellowship. If he is saying they need to be sanctified by acknowledging Jesus as Lord who physically existed, and also proclaim the fellowship with Christ and with one another, then we're talking about true fellowship. And the true message of the gospel is Christ and how you can know who he is and that he needs to be Lord of your life. We walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Fellowship with God is proclaimed as part of the gospel message. To believe with saving faith is to trust in Christ and receive fellowship with God. We receive a desire to have fellowship with one another in Christ. Now look at verse 4. This is how John summarizes. He says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And he testified of that joy of fellowship, of sharing in the work of the gospel and building up the body of Christ, the church, according to the will of God and the love of Christ and of the brethren. And their joy would also be made complete as well in mutual fellowship with one another in Christ. You see that? So your fellowship is with Christ. And if you have fellowship with Christ, you also have fellowship with others who have fellowship with Christ. And you know what you see there? You see the greatest commandments fulfilled is that you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're also loving your neighbor as yourself. You're loving others. It's nothing in there is about yourself. Nothing in there is about you have to love yourself before you can love others. That is not true. We are born into a sin nature that inherently loves ourselves. Babies are very selfish. I don't have to tell parents that because right away, mine, mine, the first words is mine. And we don't stop doing that. It's part of the sin nature. What can I get for me? Well, I'll tell you, you get Christ for you and you stop worrying about you and you start glorifying God who created you and you start enjoying the fellowship of the other people who put you in this life with them. Right? 
Later in 3 John 3 to 6, John writes, this is really important. Just look at the care that John shows when he's writing about his other brethren. And the reason, he says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. And that speaks of the joy of fellowship, delighting that believers are walking in the truth and being faithful and loving and ministering to others. John is an eyewitness to the word of life. Having been there personally with Jesus, he also proclaims the truth of the gospel and the genuine fellowship that believers have with Christ and with other believers. If you have received the truth, keep walking in the truth and do not be led astray by false teachers with their false gospel messages that only serve themselves. Seek the glory of God and the edification of believers and salvation for the lost. You're a witness of the gospel in all these things if you have truly believed. And if you are a believer, you also share in fellowship with other believers. Your joy is in Christ. And you are to share that joy with others who know and love Jesus too. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for the, the way that you drew us to you, the way that you called us to you, the way that you transformed us and took away our hearts of stone and gave us a heart of flesh and blood, a heart that now knows that it's not about self, it's about you and about others. It's not about gratifying self, it's about glory, glorifying who you are and seeing how other people are advancing in their walk with you and delighting in that. Delighting in the well-being of others. Lord, help us to have that heart for the gospel that not only wants to testify how Christ has changed our lives as an eyewitness to what he's done in our life, but also how we can proclaim that fellowship too that comes from having a true relationship and having our lives transformed. Help us to remember the priorities of our life and that priority is you and others, and to run this race to see you standing at that finish line and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Not because we could ever deserve it, but because we run a run and do everything for your glory. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And God's people say,